Welcome to School of Movies. Four Batman animated movies. Batman, Mask of the Phantasm, and Year One, Under the Red Hood, and Batman Beyond, Return of the Joker. This Christmas, for the first time, America's most exciting and legendary motion picture hero comes to the screen like you've never seen him before. The Bat! In an all-new, larger-than-life feature film. Now, the Dark Knight confronts his newest and most menacing villain. Your angel of death awaits. The Phantasm. I want you. And faces his greatest danger. Can't be too careful with all those weirdos around. A soaring new adventure. Batman. Mask of the Phantasm, the animated movie, coming for a Christmas you'll never forget. This is the fourth of the Batman shows. Now that Burton is but a bygone influence on the franchise, we get to look at the animated series, a show that couldn't have been started with such gravitas and tenure without the immense success of the 1989 Batman film. Produced by Bruce Timm, who went on to produce Superman the Animated Series, Justice League, Static Shock and Batman Beyond, as well as many animated DC Universe films, with writing teams that featured Paul Dini, who went on to pen many many episodes of the aforementioned shows, and eventually Arkham Asylum and Arkham City. Whenever a list of the best animated television programs is put together, Batman is rarely off the top five, and frequently it's number one. Batman and Bruce are personified in voice by Kevin Conroy, and the Joker is encapsulated by Mark Hamill in such a perfect and measured way for each that a great deal of fans attest to attributing those voices in their heads when reading Batman comics. It is quite simply the abiding image of the Dark Knight for many, many people, in a way that no film, TV show or game can ever really challenge. And tonight we'll be talking about the theatrically released feature film that bookends the series detailing Batman's origin and a close romantic relationship that would haunt Bruce his whole adult life. With me in the Batcave again, clad in his customary green underpants and pixie boots, Joshua Garrity of Cane and Rinse. Hello there. Sporting a domino mask and deadly mullet, it's Neil Taylor of Game Burst. I refute the fact I have a mullet. I'm just growing my hair. Oh, okay, you can either have a mullet or that really huge collar that uh, Nightwing had in the early 90s. I'll take the mullet. It's less embarrassing. <laughs> he also had a mullet in the early 90s. You fell into the trap. The Red Hood removes his disguise to reveal Paul Flying Mutley Gibson. Hiya. And Jerome McIntosh is Batgirl. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. The series was partially inspired by Frank Miller's comic book, Batman the Dark Knight Returns, Tim Burton's live-action films, Batman and Batman Returns, and the acclaimed Superman cartoons produced by Fleischer Studios in the 1940s. Bruce Timm and Eric Randomsky designed the series by closely emulating the Burton films' otherworldly timelessness, incorporating period features such as black-and-white title cards, police blimps, 
even though no such thing has ever existed. Tim has stated he found it to fit the period they were going for. 1940s influenced look and vintage colour schemes in a large film noir influenced style. The series initially took a variation of music written by Danny Elfman for the Burton films as its theme. Later episodes of the series used a new theme with a similar style by Shirley Walker, who was occasionally Elfman's conductor on the films they worked on. The score of the series was influenced by Elfman and Walker's work on the Burton films, as well as the music of the 1940s film noir. The programme was much more adult-oriented than some previous typical superhero cartoon series. It was the first such cartoon in years to depict firearms being fired instead of laser guns, although only one person is ever actually being depicted as being shot. Commissioner Gordon, in the episode I Am the Knight, was seen to have a gunshot wound after the firefight was finished. Batman actually punching and kicking the antagonist, as well as the existence of blood and drug use. In addition, many of the series' backgrounds were painted on black paper. The distinctive visual combination of the film noir imagery and art deco design with the very dark colour scheme was called Dark Deco by the producers. First time producers Tim and Randomsky reportedly encountered resistance from studio executives, but the success of Burton's first film allowed the embryonic series to survive long enough to produce a pilot episode. Anyone know what the pilot episode was? Oh, is it the one that starts with the Joker actually singing the the Batman Smell song? No, that's Christmas with the Joker. That's the first one on the disc, but it's actually on Leather Wings. Ah, yes. That's the, the Man Bat one, which, according to Tim, got a lot of people off our backs. The series received critical acclaim for its distinctive animation and mature writing. Fans of a wide age range praised the show's sophisticated cinematic tone and psychological stories. The series was also notable for its supporting cast that included major actors performing the voices of the various villains, most notably Mark Hamill, who defined a whole new career for himself in animation with his cheerfully deranged portrayal of the Joker. The voice recording sessions were recorded with the actors together in a studio, like a radio play, unlike most animated films in which the principal voice actors recorded separately and never meet. Various interviews have noted that such an arrangement, having the cast record together, was a benefit to the show as a whole, as the actors were able to react to one another rather than simply reading the words. This method would later be employed for all subsequent series in the DC animated universe. Batman was the first series to portray Bruce Wayne using a different voice while being Batman. It was also one of the first to suggest that Harvey Dent had a pre-existing dual personality before becoming Two-Face. This idea came from the show's producer, Alan Burnett. One of the series' more famous innovations was the Joker's assistant, Harley Quinn, who became so popular that DC Comics later added her to the mainstream Batman comic book continuity. The Penguin also underwent changes for the series. His appearance was remodelled after the version seen in Batman Returns, which was in production simultaneously with the first season. New life was additionally given to nearly forgotten characters for the series, such as Clock King. In addition, dramatic changes were made to villains such as Clayface and Mr. Freeze. The latter character, for example, turned around from a cliched mad scientist with a gimmick for cold to a tragic figure whose frigid exterior hides a doomed love and vindictive fury. And that was used to terrible effect in Batman and Robin.
I first started watching the animated series, I was barely old enough to comprehend how important it was. Um, but, you know, when you're a kid, you kind of just pop on, like, cartoons. Like, I, I didn't have any, like... Uh, I didn't watch it religiously like I watch TV shows now. It's like, oh, Batman's on. That's a good program. I'll watch that. That's a good program to distract the kids, my parents thought. Um, and, yeah, I remember really enjoying it as a kid. Um, I didn't so much watch it like when I was younger, like like two or something, because that's how old I would have been when that uh, show It was uh, 92, it would have been. Yeah, so, so I would have been two years old. Jesus. Uh, yeah, I made you all feel old there. <laughs> yes, you uh, did. Yes, you did. But oh, much, you much more in the mid to late 90s, I was watching the show, because they tend to rerun that Batman show quite a lot. True. So I, I got to see quite a few of the earlier episodes as well. Um, and it just struck me as just really entertaining for everyone I, I know my dad would just sit there and watch some of the episodes with me because he found it just as enjoyable as I did and it, I also because I've recent as an adult now I've gone back and watched the uh, animated series and it's one of those things where you're like this is actually better than I remember it being as a kid yeah. um, like there are several programs that you go back to that you watched when you were a kid and realise that as a kid you were an idiot um, Digimon being one of them. Uh, oh. <laughs> that program's awful. Memories. But I watched it religiously as a child. I don't know why I was an idiot. Um, but yeah, this this program, to me, kind of defined what Batman was for a while. Mm. Because um, I was born about the time this show was becoming popular. And I didn't really watch the... Um, Schumacher films when I was that age that I kind of watched them much later in life because people went on and on about how awful they were so for me it was kind of this animated series and then when I was old enough to appreciate Batman about 15 um, uh, Nolan appeared so I've kind of had good Batman for most of my life which I was pretty sad (laughs) (laughs) most of my childhood I had no Batman I think um, yeah. I actually was kind of the perfect age at 12 when, when this came out to, to really go, yeah, actually, this is what I've been waiting for. Um, anyone else want to talk on this one? I, my memories of this is, and I'm probably going to get this wrong, it was on ITV around, I don't think it was morning, was it? It was a bit later in the afternoon, I remember it being on. I remember I, Saturday mornings with it. I just, remember, I just remember, you know, you were watching stuff all the time, and then all of a sudden, you know, you, you'd watch, what, Rugrats or something on Live and Kicking, showing the age there, stuff like that. <laughs> X-Men, Spider-Man, and then on ITV there's Batman, and it just blew everything you ever watched out the water. It was mm-hmm. dark and action-packed and gripping. I mean, th- this movie just solidified... Uh, movie. Well, the, the series just solidified my love for all things slightly dark and, you know, not quite happy. Just, I love the style of the show. I love the From movie. now on, no one's allowed to say dark. <laughs> it's been... We've already all said it too many times. Yeah, it, but it, it is the... It's one of the defining things. It, it's use of light. Mm. The way it uses, you know, light and shadow Clever. is... You want a really good way of how that's used. Anything that refers to Two-Face in that series, Mm. uh, his Mm. sort of origin stuff, Mm. is absolutely fantastically done in black and white and mental... This is the weird mental images he has in his head. It's it's really, really good. 
Mm. I would actually say it's probably better than Nolan's take. Uh, I know, and I'm not saying Nolan's take is bad. I'm just saying that Nolan's take is a bit quick and isn't quite delved into as it is in the series. Yeah, they have more time in the yeah, series. I was about to say they did have more time though. Mm. Although sometimes there were the episodes. I kind of wish they were multi-part episodes more because they had to kind of get it rounded up a bit quickly. And it's like that. I watched Bane today, and I kind of wished he'd really made that fight last longer, and they could actually have had um, the act. What actually happened to Batman when he fought Bane happened at the end of one of the series, and then like you know, is Batman coming back for another series? But back then, cartoons aren't quite treated the way that they are now. These days, they're treated like TV series in their own right, with seasons and episode orders. Mm. And from back then, it was more they would just order a block set of X yeah. amount. Actually, that's a fine point. They they didn't even get the um, the order of um, transmission and the order of what number the series are and the order of what they are, are on the DVD correct. There's no cohesion between any of those. No. So, um, yeah, I, I, I like the fact that Justice League Unlimited specifically has a really great overarching storyline. I think that's, a, that's kind of the perfect way to do an animated show. For every uh, episode to sort of work on its own, but be part of a, a larger puzzle. And one of the reasons Justice League works so well is by that point that the guys had worked on Superman the Animated Series, Batman mm. the Animated Series, Batman Beyond, and then mm. they got Justice League under the belt, and then it moved on to, Alex, as Alex likes to put, the pinnacle of it, Justice League Unlimited. Mm. So, you know, they, they had got their time to really get it down, and it really worked well. Yeah. Also, they understand who their audience is at that point. Because yeah. watching Justice League Unlimited, it's very clear that they know adults are watching. Mm. Whereas when, with some of the earlier Batman shows, it kind of feels like they're like, are adults watching? <laughs> I'm not quite sure. Um, well, when Justice League was on Cartoon Network, it was around about the same time of the day that they were showing Dragon Ball Z. So they, yeah. they knew they had adults watching then. It's because yeah. they, they lost Toonami, so they knew people were still sort of looking for Toonami on Cartoon Network. I've got a very different take on it to you lot, just simply oh, because okay. I've got no history with the animated series, really, whatsoever. Oh, yes, of course, you only, you only just started watching it from the, the episodes you've got on... What, what film? The Gotham Knight? The Gotham Knight Blu-ray's got yeah. three or four episodes on, and I've watched one of those so far and this and I may have caught odd episodes here and there mm-hmm. before but it's not that I've not liked what I've seen it's just at the time it was what 92, 93? yeah um, so I would have been 12 um, for some reason and this sounds very odd whenever I say it nowadays my parents had an aversion to ITV I can understand that actually. When it, I, when I was growing up, we were allowed. To, yeah, we were allowed to watch kids' TV on the BBC, but ITV was kind of shunned. What about Channel Four? You could have watched the '66 Batman. That was kind of allowed, you know. Ah, <laughs> the irony. Yeah. So whilst I saw all a lot of the Marvel stuff, the X Men, Spider Man, all that sort of thing, oh, yeah, that was yeah. never really saw the Batman stuff. Well, Which is a shame because I really like Batman, but you know. Plus, I had a my brother was born that year, so <laughs> there was a bit of a chaotic time for actually catching anything at that point. 
I imagine. Well, wasn't one of the reasons both why X-Men and Batman was successful that uh, one of the things that they were doing for the, for the stories of the shows that were taking famous comic book yeah. storylines and actually translating them to the cartoon? Yeah, in fact, the, the episode of the animated series I watched the other night, um, I think it's called Legends of the Dark Knight. Yes. Where it's two stories, and the first one's done in the kind of 40s comic book style. Yep. With different voices, I think. And yeah, the Dark Knight stuff at the end. And then the, the, really the Dark Knight stuff is, is, is almost literally what happens in one scene in The Dark Knight Returns. Yeah, it's, that was really, really good. I enjoyed that. Yeah. And we'll, obviously we'll get into the Mask of the Phantasm as we go through. But yeah, yeah I'm, I'm definitely going to watch more. I'll probably pick some up on iTunes. Well, I've got some um, recommendations at the end, so if you want to just go uh, pick and choose through them, you can. I'm kind of uh, thinking I'll just pick up the first series and go from I, there. I was actually going to say it would be, it might, but it would be cheaper to just pick up the first series because it is yeah. incredibly cheap to get. Series one and two on DVD, and that is as much Batman as you'll need for quite some time. Yeah. Okay. Now, regarding Mask of the Phantasm, everyone who's been listening who hasn't seen this film so far, stop right now. Go see it. There is a very significant spoiler, which we are going to have to discuss pretty much from the get-go. Otherwise, we can't really talk about the film. And if you haven't seen it, you don't want to know this straight away. Simple as that. So, uh, if you haven't uh, seen it, go get The Mask of the Phantasm, then come back and thank me. Because you will enjoy this film. Do Four it. quid on Amazon. <laughs> do it. Do it now. Okay, so go do that. Now, everyone else, listen in. Vigilantism at its deadliest. It's garbage, Mr. Reeves. The Batman does not kill. What kind of city are we running when we gonna let Batman cross the line? You want him, you get him. I'll have no part of it. Andrea. Hurry! You have an excellent sense of timing. So we meet again. I like the cape. Not sure about the mask. So good to see you and Miss Beaumont together again. Might one ask what this bodes for your alter ego? I can't put myself on a line as long as there's someone waiting for me to come home. Is it true? Is the Batman really hitting our people? We have eyewitnesses. You know, I've been reading lately how old Guano Man is wound tight enough to snap. Wrong! It ain't the bat. Nope, nope, nope. I've seen the guy. He looks more like the ghost of Christmas future. You're saying it's someone else? Don't you remember you, me, Sally, and the gang? I worked for Beaumont. I didn't know what he was doing. So you figured it out. Gotta hand it to you. Nice scheme. Costume's a bit theatrical, but I can blow smoke too. The man in the costume. Your father. They wanted interest compounded in blood. He was the one element that tied these gangsters together. He said he'd get them, somehow. But Andy, what will vengeance solve? Look what they did to us! What we could have had! Now it's going to come down between me and your father. You're too late! 
The original idea was to release Master of the Phantasm as a direct-to-video film, but the studio decided for a theatrical release, given the filmmakers a strenuous eight-month schedule. Master of the Phantasm received overwhelming critical acclaim from critics, who tend... Critical acclaim from critics... As opposed to from what? Shopkeepers? <laughs> from internet reviewers like ourselves? There was no internet, you fool! Who tend to praise the f- who tended to praise the film for its animation style, dialogue and acting. But it was a box office bomb due to the decision to release the film in theatres on such short notice. I think for various other cultural reasons as well, but I haven't listed them here. The film has since found cult success through its various VHS and DVD releases and almost paid for itself. <laughs> it cost $6 million to make, and it made, and this is really fucking tragic, $5.6 million. Indicating both the importance of marketing and timing and why the $238 million Batman and Robin made is one of cinema's greatest crimes impressed by the success of the first season of Batman the Animated Series on Fox Network Warner Brothers assigned Alan Burnett to write a story for a full length animated film although the Joker does play a pivotal role in the film it was Burnett's intention to tell a story far removed from the television show's regular rogues gallery Burnett also cited he wanted to do a love story with Bruce because no one had really done it on the TV show I wanted the story that just got into his head The writers were highly cautious of placing the Joker in the film as they did not want any connection to Tim Burton's Batman in 1989. But writer Michael Reeves said, We then realised we could make his appearance serve the story in a way that we never could in live action. Aiding Burnett in writing the script were Martin Pascoe, who handled most of the flashback segments, Michael Reeves, who wrote the climax, and Paul Dini, who claimed that he filled in holes here and there. Citizen Kane served as an influence for the flashbacks, a story about loss and the passage of time. Now, pay attention. According to John Glover, who played Dr. Jason Woodrue in 1997's Batman and Robin, Joel Schumacher would sit in a crane with a megaphone and yell before each take, Remember, everyone, this is a cartoon! It was hard to act because that kind of set the tone for the film. So, on one hand, you've got an animated film trying to be Citizen Kane, and on the other, you've got Joel Schumacher trying to remind everyone not to take it seriously and to make it cheap and worthless. Yes, because a serious take on Batman would never work. Never work! Uh, Actually, I had a friend, uh, had a friend, he's not now, um, back in the 90s, who suggested that uh, animated films weren't really films... Because uh, they, uh, they, they weren't... Just the direct. reason why he's not a friend anymore. <laughs> Partly. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I just said, Akira, Ghost in the Shell, The Lion King, Beauty and the Beast. I mean, seriously, yeah, are you going to... Toy <laughs> Story, are you going to carry on with this? The, the ultimate argu- answer to that question, animated movies are not a film. Disney. <laughs> I if win. Your, val- your argument is invalid. I think ultimately he was sort of arguing that it's not the same process but ultimately it can be even more exacting sometimes Mm. I mean there's shit animated films and there's great animated films but they're they should not be disregarded Uh, well animation is a style not a genre like it's a way of telling a story not a type of story if you know what I mean too many people get hung up on thinking that animated is a genre yeah, it's exactly the same with has absolutely nothing to do with Lilo and Stitch. Yeah, it's exactly the same thing with comics. Mm. Yeah. It's a medium, not a genre. And, and it's, it's 
It's things like um, the the Batman sixty six series. Uh, it, not, not that the series was the problem, but that the people sort of connecting that with the comics and saying, "Well, this is what all comics are like." Being the misnomer. Hmm. It's a, it's a it's an argument that we could spend hours going round and round yeah. about. Eric Randomsky on Warner Brothers' decision to release the film theatrically. It was basically an expanded episode. We boarded the script and did all of our designs and shipped it overseas. We were treating it with more quality, but we originally didn't intend it for the big screen. Most animated features take well over two years from finished story to final release, so they had a very short production time. Due to this decision, the animators went over the scenes once more in order to accommodate widescreen theatrical aspect ratio. So originally they'd done it in 4.3... Is it 4.3? Is yeah, 4x3. 4x3. So originally they'd done it in 4x3, so they had to basically broaden all of those boards. Uh, the studio did cooperate well, granting the filmmakers a large amount of creative control. Possibly why the film's so good. In addition to the creative control, the studio increased the production budget to $6 million, which gave the filmmakers opportunities for more elaborate set pieces. The opening title sequence featuring a flight through an entirely computer-generated Gotham City, which, by the way, is the bit that's aged the most out of all of it. Uh, As a visual joke sequence, director Kevin Elitieri set the climax of the film against a miniature automated model of Gotham City, where Batman and the Joker were giants. This was an homage to the mainstay of Batman comic books in the Dick Sprang era, uh, by the way, the Dick Sprang era was the one where he's tied to a giant piano, like you just mentioned. Uh, yes. or, uh, often featuring the hero fighting against a backdrop of gigantic props. I think do they, he in in that era he got tied with Robin to a gigantic coin. I even think this happened in in the animated series at one point by Two Face, yeah. who was going to flip them, and if it crashed down and squashed them, then you know that was their fate. Well, the coin's been in the cave for years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that it was that very coin that he kept it. I think he also kept it up there with a Tyrannosaurus Rex. I don't know what the story of that thing is. No. Well, <laughs> the odd thing to watch in that in the animated series, and I think it is pretty much right from the start that there is a Robin suit. Yeah. Encasing yeah. glass from the start, which makes kind of no sense because we do start with Dick Grayson. We end mm. with Tim Drake, but we kind of never mention the middle one. Yes, that's a good point. Actually, good maybe point. in this universe he started with Jason Todd and never mentioned it. I think it, it, I think it was more one of those things that because the, the guys who worked on it loved the material so much, they had to include it, even though they never mention why it's there. So if you know why it's there, you know, and if not, it's just. An interesting yeah. backdrop. From start to finish, the film was completed within eight months. Composer Shirley Walker cited the score of Master of the Phantasm as a favourite among her own compositions. Paul Dini, who by the way worked on Lost later on, intended each of the flashbacks into Batman's love life to have a tendency to get worse when you hope things will get better. Bruce's relationship with Andrea, which at first shows promise, eventually turns into turmoil. At first Bruce and Andrea are set for marriage, but then Bruce gets a farewell note from Andrea, cutting off their relationship. This eventually leads to Bruce's decision to become the Batman. Richard Corliss of Time felt this scene paralleled Andrea's decision to avenge her own parents and reject love when she finds her own father, dead by the hands of an assassin. Both events transform the two people. Bruce becomes Batman, Andrea becomes the Phantasm. That was the spoiler, folks, just in case you hadn't got that far. <laughs> One scene depicts Bruce Wayne at his parents' tombstone saying, I didn't count on being happy. 
According to writer Michael Reeves, this scene was to be a pivotal moment in Bruce's tragic life as he has denied the opportunity to live a normal life. Reeves also stated, when Bruce puts on the mask for the first time after Andrea Beaumont breaks up their engagement and Alfred says, my God, he's reacting in horror because he's watching this man he's helped raise from childhood, this man who has let his desire for vengeance and retribution consume his life, at last embrace the unspeakable. That's a really powerful scene. It's another cave, all right. Could be as big as the house, judging from the number of bats that came out of it. Alfred, what's wrong? This just arrived, sir. Left with Dad. Too young. Need time. Forget about me. Who wants to talk about the phantasm? Uh, I'll talk about the phantasm. Go. I think this is a really interesting villain. Um, not just because he looks cool. He looks cool. She looks cool. He looks like a he. Uh, never mind. We'll get on to that later. Sounds but, like a he. Yeah, but um, it was just a really interesting design. Um, like, the look of it is very ghostly and very... It's meant to look kind of like how Batman looks, that kind of like very intimidating uh, dark figure, mm. but more monstrous and more disfigured. And obviously he has the uh, claw on his hand, so he's intended to kill people. Uh, yeah. She isn't... Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> it's hard, isn't it? Yeah. He, it look, that's the thing. That's the thing that throws you off people when you're watching this film. The, the, the look of the character looks very masculine, um, so all the way through the film, I, you're convinced that this is clearly going to be a male character. And then when it's revealed that it's a female, it does actually come as a bit of a shock. Yeah. Although at that at the point where it's revealed, you kind of guessed uh, that it's her, but still. Because well, she has every reason to, to be doing that. I, basically, until you find out that her father's dead, you suspect it might be her father. Yeah, yeah and... Because never said it explicitly until then. I really like that um, she's a very, very uh, sympathetic villain. Like, you totally, mm. totally understand the motives behind um, what she's doing. And I don't know if I'd really describe her as a villain. Anti-hero no, is probably she's better. She's not really an antagonist. She's a, a, a yeah, an anti-hero. She's not really going, going after yeah. Batman at all. Batman's yeah. trying to stop her because she's killing people and Batman can't let that happen. But she's not really a threat to Batman himself. She just wants to get revenge on the people who ruined her 
life and killed their father. Mm. And linking her so directly with um, Bruce Wayne's past, uh, past yeah. is really good as well. Um, having like the only woman that Bruce Wayne really, really, really fell in love with, um, willing, in fact, to give up the promise that he made to his parents uh, to have a life with her. And, and, he, and she made him happy and all these kind of things. But, yeah, uh, it, didn't, it didn't work out. No. For the first time since I've, I've watched I've watched this film a dozen times, um, I actually started to well up a little bit at the end because it, it really is, in some weird way, it's kind of like the, um, the Selina problem at the end of uh, Batman or Jason Todd in uh, Under the Red Hood, this notion that, that their relationship could work if Batman could just embrace the fact that the Joker has to die. Or in this case, in, in Batman Returns, Matt Shrek. Not, not everyone else... Not the penguin, not just a, a common just street thug, just this one person. And in, in Andrea's case, it's the Joker, and same as Jason Todd. And it's, it's Batman's inability to get past that, that one exceptionally shadowy area of his life that will always keep him apart from these people. It's just the fact that she is the mirror image of, image of Batman, but yeah. instead of you know, seeking justice, she seeks vengeance. That's why well, you works, could though. argue that Batman's seeking vengeance in, in a, in a uh, roundabout way as well. He's punishing the he's punishing criminality in general, mm, but she's yeah. going for direct targets. Yeah. yeah, which which you could almost consider to be more healthy because once she's then finished, that's it. You know, it's, it's, she just had to get rid of them. There is a sort of wholeness about her once at the end, but I mean, she, she's not managed to kill the Joker, and she knows that she could have made it work with Bruce, so she's. She's effectively not allowed that peace. What am I still doing this for? It's got to be one or the other. I can't have it both ways. I can't put myself on the line as long as there's someone waiting for me to come home. Miss Beaumont would be glad to know you feel that way, Master Bruce. She's holding on line one, sir. Master Bruce? Alfred, I can't. Not now. What shall I say, sir? I don't know. I just don't know! It doesn't mean I don't care anymore. I don't want to let you down, honest, but... But it just doesn't hurt so bad anymore. You can understand that, can't you? Look, I can give money to the city. They can hire more cops. Let someone else take the risk. But it's different now. Please. I need it to be different now. I know I made a promise. But I didn't see this coming. I didn't count on being happy. Tell me that it's okay. Maybe they already have. Maybe they sent me.
Now, Batman in this and Batman in the animated series, uh, I don't know why this is the abiding image of Batman for me. It's, it's, I, yeah. it, it can't just be the sheer weight of, of minutes committed to screen time to all of this and how many I've watched of it. And it just, it's not that it's... I can, I, the best I can describe it as is it's just flawless. There's no bits mm. I've ever seen of, of any of these episodes, of any of these series, where I just go, Batman wouldn't do that. It's yeah. like it's, he's so carefully crafted that there isn't any like director coming in going, oh, I just want Batman to do this because it'll be fun. It, n- he never does anything which will just be for the sake of it. Yeah. But I mean, am I thinking Batman wouldn't do that because it's accurate to the comics or accurate to the films or just because that is what Batman is and therefore anything that deviates from that is what Batman wouldn't do? It's a kind of weird chicken and egg situation for me. Well, uh, for me, it's more that every aspect of the animated Batman is so strong and yeah. the people very involved have such control over what he is. Like, uh, the voice just feels like Batman. It has gravitas but the animation is fast and fluid. He feels like a ninja. He feels quick. Um, and he looks menacing and intimidating. Uh, it just all works together. It all comes together to make this perfect image of Batman. It helps with it, obviously, with it being animation as well. Because you can get the fluidity and the movement and the iconic shapes from the costume. You know, particularly the cape. Without having to worry about, you know physics you know, in the way that a live action <laughs> that's true yeah, yeah as, as we said in the uh, 89 Batman show it, it's not been done where they've managed to make Batman look spot on in real life before he always looks a bit silly yeah I mean essentially the animated series is what everything is compared to before the Dark Knight came along it's so yep. iconic and grounded. You could, like, you could see this happening in some far over in America somewhere where nobody goes because it's got that the time period, the village. It actually has blood and drugs and people dying in it, which is something that annoys me of most cartoons when people get hurt and they don't bleed or anything. Yeah, and there's no consequences. I mean. I do like that bit in uh, Heart of Ice where that poor security guard's... Well, it's not even a security guard, it's just a henchman of yeah. Mr. Freeze gets his legs frozen and Bruce has to very tenderly take him back to the Batcave mm-hmm. and make sure that he handles him correctly because otherwise he's going to shatter his legs and then thaw him out carefully and slowly. It's like it, it gives you a sense of danger to the situation. It's not just like, we'll just inject him with this and he'll soon be fine again. One thing I did really like in this is you get elements of each part of Batman as well because mm-hmm. you've got the you've got the fighting you've got the you know obviously the costume and everything else um, you actually see him do uh, bits and pieces of detective work as well yeah in Master of the Phantasm yeah only bits you know analysing slides for the the residue on glass and things like that which in the Burton ones certainly and the Schumacher ones you don't really get He's there, he's Batman, you just kind of carry on, whereas this one you've got the detective part as well. Yeah, it remembers that Batman's the world's greatest detective. Mm. I, I, I like, I like, it, it, it's more generally you can apply this to the animated series, though, that it does 
you feel the difference between Bruce Wayne and Batman. You know, there's mm. two distinct personalities there. Batman yeah. is one way, and Bruce Wayne is... And Bruce Wayne, in, especially... You notice it in this, but it's very clear in the series, that Bruce Wayne's actually more of a warmer character. Mm. Like, um, when he's trying to explain what he's doing to Alfred, the, there's a teacher mentality to him, there's a warmth to him. He's not cold and distant. Mm. You realise that the, this movie particularly does a good job of making Batman feel like a symbol, like uh, this mythological per, uh, personification of some higher force. It's when he put. We were talking about that scene earlier on where he puts on the costume, mm. and Alfred says, "My God!" It's because he's becoming something higher than a man. He's Legend, becoming Mr. Way. <laughs> it's just he's not just a guy in a costume this is a symbol and he puts on this persona of something larger than not larger do you know what I mean more bigger something than something else a, entirely yeah yeah everything that's um so much of uh the of of what resonates with Batman Begins has its roots in this and I don't know how influential this was I think the three graphic novels that they cite as important in um uh, Batman Begins, which David Goyer and uh, Christopher Nolan read cover to cover over and over again for influence, were, were Year One, Hush, and The Long Halloween. Not and a bad place to start. Yeah, Hush is probably the closest of those uh, to to the uh, animated series. In fact, um, the inclusion of Harley Quinn in it actually brings it even closer. And I've always hoped for a um, animated version of Hush. And now that they're doing Dark Knight Returns, yay! Uh, we might eventually see Hush. And uh, just because because everyone who provided the voices in the animated series could easily come back and voice all of those characters again, except for Mark Hamill. Yeah. If he's if the Joker's in there, he, the Joker is in Hush. Why couldn't the Joker be in Hush? Uh, because Mark Hamill's retired from doing the Joker. Yeah. Oh um, shit. He, he, Mark Hamill has said that if they ever did the Killing Joke, he would come back out of retirement to do that. But apart from that, he wants to like, you know, is that, move on. So basically, was Arkham City his swan song there? Yeah. 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 He actually oh. said so. I mean, a lot of people complain says. Oh, what will happen when Mark Hamill starts doing this is I'm just one person. Other people will do the joke eventually. Yeah, well, John DiMaggio did it in Red uh, Red. Red Hood. I think Mark Hamill was speaking about, like, I've done it for, like, 20 years now. Hmm. Let me fucking rest. (laughs) I just want to move on to something more, uh, something else. Uh, He did say Arkham City was his last performance but since then he's done the Joker in DC Universe Online expansion packs so ah, he's kind uh, of doing it still well I, I, that happens that a might lot be, of artists mm. though they say oh I'm so tired of this I just want to move on oh, oh actually I miss it now <laughs> start feeling the Joker's itch I'm just looking at it on, on Twitter after he announced it he said well he said it would be hard to top not that I was actually quitting so there's a chance <laughs> okay well I mean he wouldn't have to do his character in Hush but it'd be nice if he did I mean it's not even it's only hypothetical anyway also rereading it Hush is written by Jeff Loeb and is thus <laughs> is thus intrinsically flawed <laughs> but then so is The Long Halloween which really deserves a animated movie as well I really like the fact that they're doing things like uh, Year One now and uh, committing them because it it works really well to actually get a graphic novel and put it in an animated film form because, I mean, it's storyboarded there for you already. The way that Bruce 
is portrayed in the animated series and in this, it makes him far more of a person. Yeah. Uh, because I think this was one of the first things that where Bruce stopped being quite such an asshole. In the comics, even, he was trying to sort of portray Bruce as a... Pl- he was portraying his Bruce persona as a playboy and being a little bit overbearing so that people wouldn't try and dig too deep and find out that, you know, all of these secrets that he, he was hiding. But in this, he's actually genuinely pleasant. And it, he spends most of the series, when he's out being Bruce, kind of fending off female advances. <laughs> By the way, was it just me or was... Uh, there's a scene where he's at a party. Mm-hmm. And he has a couple of birds around him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That the voice actress for Harley Quinn was there, wasn't she? I did w- hear that. Arlene Sorkin. <laughs> yeah, I swear to God, I went. Harley's not in this. Was she the one who was dancing on the table? Miss Candy is dancing on the table. <laughs> Quite probably. But there's a softness in in uh, Bruce's voice and an openness to his face, and very occasionally he'll harden up without wearing the cowl and suddenly start talking like Batman, and it's like, vroom, he's suddenly changed. And it is, it is almost like he's as split a personality as Two-Face. One of the things I like about the animated series Batman is that he feels quite unstable and insane. Yeah. Mm. That it's, it's a focused insanity. He's um, kind of focused it towards something constructive, but you can easily see him, like, losing his grip on reality in much the same way the Joker has. Well, and if you follow the chronology of the series, it doesn't end well for him. Mm. Yeah. More on that in Um, uh, a couple of shows' time. It's like Alfred said at the end of the movie, he's he's spent his whole time watching Bruce stare into this abyss, fearing that he might fall in and become the very thing he's fighting against, but he's thankful that he's never... That is such a good line. I forgot about that line. That's such a good line in that film. Mm. The notion that happiness cannot live alongside vengeance as well is really... That's a tragic aspect of Bruce, which they they really get that across. The notion that the second he starts to become happy with Andrea, it doesn't hurt anymore. This burning desire to become what would eventually be Batman starts to ebb away, and if he had just gotten married there, then Gotham City would be a completely different place. Yeah, it is one of those where you almost want to see a what-if story from it. You know, Mm. the what-if, you know, Andrea hadn't fled to Europe, if that hadn't happened, and they had got married, what would Gotham City be like without Batman? There is an argument that basically... Bruce's fate is always to be Batman and something terrible would have happened to Andrea which would have made him redoubled his resolve. <laughs> As it was said in a later <laughs> episode uh, actually completely different series Gotham always needs a Batman. Yeah. It's Batman. He's gone nuts. First he whacked Chucky Saul, then Buzz and now he's after me. You know I've been reading lately how old Guano Man is wound tight enough to snap. Wouldn't it be great if I'd finally driven him off the deep end? <laughs> this isn't a joke. Batman's knocking us off and you're the only one who can take him down. Look, five million up front with whatever you want to finish him off. <laughs> what do I look like? Pest control? Thank you, fool. Once he gets me, how long till he gets you? You know what I'm talking about. Your hands are just as dirty. Dirtier. Don't touch me, old man. I don't 
don't know where you've been. <laughs> oh, Sal, no one could take a joke like you. Of course I'll help you out. Really? Certainement. No way is anybody going to hurt my pal Sal. That's it. That's what I want to see. A nice big smile. And then there's the Joker who comes... I mean, we're missing out a big old swathes and chunks of what happens in the film. It's, it's effectively a, a film noir where mobsters get offed by a shadowy figure and Batman has to try and figure out who the shadowy figure is, interspersed with flashbacks of Bruce becoming Batman slowly. I, I would just like to add, during the point where Batman's being blamed for these killings... Again. Yeah. I like how the police are the most efficient when they're hunting down Batman, but they can't seem to catch a criminal. (laughs) (laughs) They call in helicopters, they surround the area, they practically catch him. It totally makes sense, though, because Batman's making them look bad, so it makes sense that they'd have a vendetta against him. It's their chance to release this pent-up... Frustration. Yeah. There is something very classic about Batman running from the police. It's like, stop it, you fools! He's trying to help you! But at the same time, you kind of do see that maybe Bruce is making things worse. And not only that, you know, in the scene where it's on about the police, why the police are going after him and everything, there's only one person that refuses to go after him. No surprises yeah. for getting it to Commissioner Gordon, but, you know, Bullock's there and he's all, he, you know, he wants to go, because Bullock's never liked him. Despite the fact, you know, Batman has saved Bullock on numerous occasions, Bullock don't like him. Montoya kind of likes him. Montoya's never mentioned in this, because... I mean, Not in this, no, yeah. I mean, you speak, uh, we, we talk about Harley being made into a character from the series, but so was Montoya and so yeah. was Bullock as well. There wasn't a Bullock or a Montoya before... Well, they do work very, very well as, as, as ways of characterising the Gotham PD. Montoya is the good cop, Bullock is the rubbish cop. <laughs> you can't call him a bad cop, and he's not, he's not a bad guy. He's just a slob. He's a lazy cop. He's mm. ignorant. And he's, he's, he goes for the easy way through as well, and usually it involves blaming Batman. Yeah, pretty much. Um, actually, and, and huge props here. This was the first... This animated series was the first non-comic depiction of Jim Gordon as a character, and thank Christ, yeah, because he actually really does get some proper episodes to himself in in this series. I, I don't know if it'll be on your recommended list, but th- I can't remember the episode title. But there is uh, one later on in the series. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't describe this without spoiling you the episode. Um, Batgirl. Yes, it's that one. Scarecrow. <laughs> Batgirl, oh, Scarecrow, yes. very yeah. angry Jim Gordon. I've just had a look. I didn't realise Montoya was created for the animated series. Yeah, well, she is. Because yeah. yeah. the Gotham Central comic book series is great. I want to read over that. the edge. I'm told that's brilliant. Over the edge. Yeah, yeah. Um, Gotham Central's fantastic, but I kind of like most things that Greg Rucker does. So, <laughs> but yeah, she's she's one of the main characters in Gotham Central, which is the follows the Gotham PD. Yeah, that's why I wanted to read that one. I've heard it's really good. It's hard to imagine Gotham Central being written about the cops in Batman Returns. Yeah. Yeah. I'll take. I'll say one thing about that comic series, and that's Joker with a sniper rifle. Must read this series now. Uh, On that note, the Joker, and I think it was actually a really good idea to save the Joker for like middle of Act Two 
mm-hmm. so that you didn't start with him and it's like right let's focus on the story then we'll bring in the Joker when he's relevant that was measured and I like it and he does dominate when he's on screen but you know, rightly so ultimately he is uh, a figurehead of fear and he goes from I love the fact that someone goes to him for help and he puts them and he kills him <laughs> yeah it's like he's the exact opposite of Batman when things are going very bad people go to Batman when things are when the criminals are starting to lose confidence they go to the Joker and end up getting um well, regretting it it's more of a last resort because they yeah. know how <laughs> unstable the Joker is and at yeah. any moment he could just go oh I fancy killing you um, <laughs> the specific and- moment when the Gangster calls him a fool and everything. You just see Joker. His eyes flare up. Like, you're dead. I've always liked Mark Hamill's portrayal of the Joker because it feels like the um, exterior, like the jokes and the playfulness, is kind of like a a cover, uh, like something that's hiding the fact that there is a monster... An absolutely terrible monster that it threatens to come out every so often, and yeah. like his laugh is a really good indicator of what kind of mood he's in. It's not he doesn't have like this definitive like this is my Joker laugh. He uses his jo- uh, his laugh as like an indicator of what mood he's in. Like sometimes he'll just laugh and it's giggly and it's playful, but then sometimes like it's really sinister and you can hear the monster deep within him threatening to surface and come out of him. It's... <laughs> a really good performance i really love mark hamill's portrayal and it's interesting uh watching this film because i've noticed that he's actually kind of slightly changed the way he plays the joker in recent years Mm. um he's a lot more um all over the place in this movie whereas um later on in like uh, batman arkham city he Mm. feels much his performance feels a little bit more controlled um, I don't know which I Sharon prefer. even asked, is that Mark Hamill? Because she'd just seen Return of the Joker and she knew that oh. was Mark Hamill. And I said, no, they sound different, don't they? Because in, in Return of the Joker, he is totally bolted down and serious for a, a good proportion of that movie. So it sounds like a different actor, but it's, yeah, totally Mark Hamill. Mark Hamill is probably, to a lot of people, including myself, is the definitive Joker. Mm. He really is. It's like Ken, Con- Ken Conroy is Batman. He yeah. is the voice of Batman. Well, I like hear a, that I'm voice one of those read. people. Yeah, so I said, I'm, I'm one of those people as well. I was reading Under the Red Hood today, and even though John DiMaggio voices the Joker in uh, the animated film, I couldn't get that weird Brooklyn version of the Joker in I my head. It was just like, I, I don't hate it, but it's just not as good as Hamill. So, I quite yeah. enjoy that Joker voice. I will reassess when we watch the film in a few weeks' time. But... Uh, it's going to be a, a tough one waiting till we find another definitive Joker for the next generation. I don't think it's DiMaggio. I would put forward Bruce Greenwood as a, a possible successor to Conroy. Yeah, I am enjoying his take on 
But but again, we've only seen pretty much Bruce Greenwood as Batman. We need to see him as Bruce as, as Wayne. Well. Yeah, good point. On the voices, particularly for the Joker and Batman, my real introduction to that was through Arkham Asylum. Ah. Uh. Due to not having any real link through the series. Mm. And yeah, the voices stuck even from that relatively short exposure. Yeah. When you start seeing lots of Harley Quinn in the animated series, you'll be like, ah, I know why she's in this game. Yeah. She, I mean, she's, she's, she's really annoying. She is an annoying, <laughs> like, whiny, screechy character, and you want to just, like, kind of throttle her at times. And but, then the Joker does. Yeah, but I wouldn't want her not there, there you know? So, we, you know what we're talking about... Um, Joker voices. I, I, I've, I've been desperately excited trying to remember who it was who voiced him in Young Justice, and it's Brent Spinner or Spiner. Data. Seriously? Data. Uh-huh. Data from TNG. That's the guy who voiced him in Young Justice. And when does he turn up in Young Justice? I should start watching it again. Uh, he is part of. Is it the Legion of Doom or something? It's a two-parter. Uh, I'm on this episode nine. Oh, give me a second, I'll look it up. Okay. <laughs> I really didn't like that portrayal of the Joker. Yeah? I, I prefer the Red Hood Joker to that one, but that's just me. Well, Red Hood Joker was... Uh, I love the way that... Oh, we'll talk about it then, but it, that, that was dealing with some of the essential characteristics mm. of the Joker and what he represents, and it's, it's going to be... It's hard not to... Not warm to that character, but, but not to be impressed by the depiction there. It yeah. is number 14... Revelation. Not too far off, then. I will get on that. Tisk tisk, and to think our tax money goes to pay those jerks. You. <laughs> That's right, Hearty. Bring in the press, why don't you? What a photo op! The councilman and his wacky pal. You're no friend of mine. Oh, Hearty, I'm crushed. How the high and mighty forget. Don't you remember you, me, Sally, and the gang? What are you talking about? I never met them or you. I worked for Beaumont. I didn't know what he was doing. Oh, but you knew about it afterwards and put it to good use, eh? (laughs) What do you want? To find out who's iced the old gang. Haven't you read the papers? It's Batman! Wrong. It ain't the bat. Nope, nope, nope. I've seen the guy. He looks more like the ghost of Christmas future. Nowhere near as cute as Bat Boy. You're saying it's someone else? Yeah. Someone who wouldn't mind seeing our old pals out of the way. (gasps) Maybe. Go. Stop. Me too. That's when I thought about you, Arturo. An important, upstanding guy like you could find it awkward if certain secrets were revealed about his past. Wait, you're not saying that I... Mr. Reeves, Miss Beaumont on the line. Now, ain't that a co-winky dick? We're talking about the old man and the spawn of his loins just happens to call. Makes you want to laugh, doesn't it, Arturo? <laughs> the ending 
at the World's Fair, for a start, reminded me oddly of the Stark World's Fair, <laughs> um, the original one by Howard Stark. Um, and they even have, both soundtracks have their own sort of make way for the future tomorrow type music, which is kind of creepy. But it also sort of reminded me of the killing joke where um, he, uh, in an abandoned amusement park, he tries to send Gordon mad. And it also does some lovely foreshadowing uh, in the flashback where you see the two going round on a date and mm. he, he sees the car. Yeah. That sticks in my mind every time. He it's sees the concept the car and it's the front wheel. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, so that's, that's... So you didn't build it from scratch, you actually... He shows actual real emotion at that point to something else other than, yeah. you know, to his date. Which is rare, I think, for... Um, while we're on the climax, I just want to note that how uh, this film does a good job of showing how Joker is just as intelligent as Batman because yeah. he's figured out who uh, the Phantasm is by mm. the end of the movie. I think before Batman does, in fact, because yeah. um, the second time he tries to kill the Phantasm, he actually refers to her as Toots. So mm. he's clearly figured out who it is. So, yeah, she demasks herself because she knows that he knows. Indeed, and and also I like how the Joker's just completely unafraid of her. Like even though that, uh, that this is a common thing with the Joker in general. Even though like many of the characters the Joker faces are physically capable of beating the crap out of him. I mean, Batman is more than capable of beating the shit out of the Joker. He and he took him to death, and he has every reason to. Yeah, but the Joker kind of isn't afraid of that. I yeah. think. There are points where he doesn't want to die, but I don't feel like he's afraid of death. It's like how they say never mess with a crazy person because they don't have that thing that tells them to stop when their life is in danger. I mean, he he will try to preserve his life, but if it comes down to it, he'll take you with him. Although there was a bit in Under the uh, Hood where Todd says to him, you use that insane cackling clown as an excuse you're crazy but you're not that crazy and the grin falls from his face just a little bit there's this this notion that the joker like over accentuates his behavior i mean he knows he's crazy so he sort of plays that against people yeah well it, it, it he's insane but he's He's logical. He has the mind of somebody who's... I, f- I think he, he does it to fool people into thinking he's stupid. Yeah. Um, almost. A Batman's that wise enough to know that Joker isn't stupid at this point, and he is a genuine threat. But for yeah. people who don't know him, like mob bosses and people like that, they think, oh, what's this weirdo? And then sure. he turns every everything against them, their money, their power, their men... And they're like, oh, wait, we completely underestimated this He's guy. a master manipulator. Yeah. That's how he m- makes Harley Quinn. Yeah. And also, it's a stark contrast because we get to see early Joker. We don't realise it, but we see an early... A pre-Joker Joker. An early incarnation of the Joker pre-makeup. Yes. Mm. And he's... he's and he's still a mystery. Yeah, I also like that he's kind of always been a bit of a horrible person as well. And genuinely threatening even before he was in any way exotic. Yeah. It's kind of interesting having him be like that 
a stereotypical mob hitman as well. Um, because when you see him like that, he's he's almost slightly more intimidating yeah. than the Joker, just because the Joker's so colourful and um, crazy, you're kind of like, uh, you know, he he charms you in a way, whereas this, like, figure just standing by the door, get, you know, whis- wolf-whistling the woman as she enter, is mm. slightly, oh, he doesn't seem like a very nice person. But him uh, on his own, you'd you'd need more than that because there's yeah. plenty of knife men yeah or make oh absolutely I mean I, I know enough about the Joker character to know that the whole you know laughing and being wacky and goofy is just a ploy to yeah. trick people and let their guards down because he truly is more dangerous than anyone you've ever encountered Notice we didn't say any of this about Nicholson's approximation of the Joker. Sorry, did, did, did Nicholson play the Joker, or did Nicholson turn up and put some makeup on? Uh, I have that. taken off my makeup. I, I, just I, pulled, think... I just pulled my copy of The Killing Joke off the shelf. Mm-hmm. The quote on the cover is, I love The Killing Joke, it's my favourite, it's the first comic I ever loved. Tim Burton. Uh, <laughs> you really? <fucking> liar. <laughs> yes. Could afford me. He was 43 at the time. <laughs> um, I think it's because uh, Mark Hamill actually gives quite a layered performance. Mm. Um, there are different... He shows different sides of the Joker. There's him being completely wacky. But you'd, the scene that we were talking about earlier where the mobster comes for help, and the mobster starts like calling him, like, oh, he's a loser, and so forth and so forth. And you see the rage boiling up inside mm. of the Joker, but he doesn't release it in the way yeah. that most people would. It's just, oh, hello, don't worry, I'll sort your problems out. That's what I want <laughs> to see. A nice, nice big, big smile, smile. <laughs> before I stab you in the face. Um, <laughs> or use Joker Venom or whatever. He, I think it, it was Joker that, Venom. Yeah, it, yeah. Which he stabbed him in the face with. Indeed. One of the most frightening weapons ever devised, because yeah. I'm quite scared of laughing myself to death now. Yeah. That, that poor guy, was, was in the district attorney? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. There's a the really powerful, effective scene when he's been in, injected with Joker toxin and he can't stop laughing and he's in hospital. And you're thinking, that's it, and he gets, you know, you're going to cut away. And then the room's all dark, and he's just about managed to calm down from it. And then the shadow of Batman crosses across the window, and you're like, and he goes, "Oh no!" Well, and he starts up again. It, it, like, it explains more like how the serum works. Like the more pumped you are, the more it affects you. You gotta can't can't be calmed down. And let it pass through your system, otherwise you're just gonna laugh yourself to death. Yeah, the scene before that where they're sedating him is fairly. Mm. <laughs> Fairly intense for for you know for an animated movie. It's a PG. Yeah, I think that's. I think it's an example because I think um, listening to interviews with um, some of the writers, they invented the Joker Venom as a way of making death or like being attacked by the Joker scary without mm. breaking any of the rules. Of uh, entertaining children, stabbed repeatedly on kids shows. Yeah, and it's weird because sometimes when you have those limitations, you can create something that is actually scarier. Mm. And and I feel like um, this is an example of it. It, it, That that 
image of somebody like saying words that are like crying out on pain like i can't stop i can't stop but laughing while doing it is so unsettling yeah um, it's it's because everybody's had that really hard laugh where they sort of couldn't breathe for a little while and had to sit down it just enforced that like this could actually happen to you if you've ever had that a, a laughing fit where you can't stop and the merest thing just keeps it going, you know how that feels. It's it's scary by the end. You can't breathe. It's a horrible thing to actually happen. And I've I've had it happen. And it's it, it might be funny to hear someone having a laughing fit, but yeah. being that person who has it and realizing you with terror. Yeah, because you cannot breathe and you can't. Well, I think stop. you're exaggerating. I'm not filled with terror when I'm having a laughing. Fit. No, well, no, but, it, but it hurts Sharon, afterwards. No, Sharon feel, is asthmatic and and does actually so get. Yeah, so I think for some people who, who actually do suffer from that kind of um, slight lack of control over their breathing or have in the past been unable to breathe properly, that that panic and that memory might come back. So, so yeah, I can I can get with that. I mean, I had one when I uh, was on uh, Temgotti, and it's it's horrible because it's something so funny, but you can't stop. Basically, Temgotti is dangerous as a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) You're a guest. Stopping fits till death. (laughs) That's highly recommended, then. Yes. Why did the Joker meet with you? It has to do with the gangster murders, doesn't it? He thinks you're involved. Why? I don't know. That's not the answer I want. Boma needed me to help him and his kid get out of town. He kept in touch. When was the last time you spoke to him? Years ago, my first election campaign, I was running out of money and asked Beaumont for help. <laughs> he said no. So you sold him to the mob. <laughs> I was broke, desperate. They said all they wanted was their money back. <laughs> please. You owe it to yourself to watch. Just, I mean, if you like Batman at all, this is a really, really good movie to watch. It, it uh, just sums up so many really wonderful key things for Batman. I would say, um, I'm assuming most people who are listening to this have seen it, but, but for those people who have seen it and haven't encouraged their friends to go watch this who are interested in Batman, mm. promote this movie because it hasn't got enough attention. Um, it's got cult status, sort of, but not enough but it, adults talk about it. It's just... It, it really annoys me when Batman Returns is more popular uh. and talked about more than this film, which, in my opinion, is the second best thing apart yeah. from the Nolan stuff. Um, so, yeah. I really like Return of the Joker, though, as well. That I hadn't realised until I saw really it again. Recently. Well. That's also very, very good. Yeah. yeah, more on that soon. Right, so, some of the... Okay, I can tell you right now regarding the animated series. If you just type in Batman Animated on Amazon.co.uk, there is a smorgasbord of treats you will be able to turn up there for not too much money um, series one is £5.49 brand spanking new 
Series 2, £6.49. Buy them. Buy, Buy them, them now. Do it now. Seriously, uh, that's, my, my, that's my top recommendation, Series 1 and 2. Uh, series 3 and 4, you can decide to get them some later date if you want to. Obviously, it's entirely up to you. But those first two will sort you. The reason you're saying that, Alex, is uh, we should point this out, is not because the bad series, it's just they were never officially released on DVD no. here. So you're looking at either it, uh, buying an import copy of Seasons 3 and 4 or going to iTunes for digital copies. Yeah. Which costs about the same, really. So it depends if you want it. If you want to watch it on DVD, uh, if you want to have it on DVD, if you, want, if you like the idea of box sets, then absolutely. It's, it's, uh, 20, it's going to be about £25 for Series 3 and uh, just under 20 for Series 4, looking at it at current prices. Um, oh, actually, I've just found this one out. For the, there's a Batman animated box set coming out, and it apparently released on June the 18th, so quite a while from now. But it's got five of the movies, Mystery of the Batwoman, Mask of the Phantasm, which you should by now already have seen, in which case you must already own, uh, Under the Red Hood, which we're going to talk about in a few weeks' time, Gotham Knight, which is worth watching, I think. It's got uh, Goth- is that the one that they brought out uh, before... The Dark Knight. Dark Knight. It's, it brings yeah, that's actually, it's that's actually got some good stories in uh, yeah. Sometimes the voices don't bitty. quite match up, but there's some good stories in there. It gets across the point of how people see the Batman differently. Mm. Yeah, it's got I, some I, very good writers involved as well. I think it's also interesting seeing Japanese animators take yeah. go at uh, Batman, because yeah. we're so used to the Western animators, it's interesting seeing a different style. Also, it, it is Kevin Conroy, isn't it, for at least yeah. one of the... Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. four of them. All, all of them. Okay. For all, all of them, yes. To be uh, recommended. So, but it also, the last ever film, Year One, which has never been released over here, so basically it's a really great way of getting... It's £12 for all of them. <laughs> Can we have but a link, please? <laughs> yeah, linky now. I mean, again, June 18th, it might go up, so I'd recommend actually pre-ordering it now, because that Avengers box set that I uh, pre-ordered for 11.99 shot up to about £17 shortly afterwards. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, um, they were listening. Linking it now. Uh, and, and yeah, that's a really great way to get a legitimate R2 copy of uh, Year One. Um, you can get all the other ones separately, but this is a good bundle price. And uh, I definitely yeah. recommend, if you haven't already got Under the Red Hood, that's also really good to, uh, to get hold of. I think all of those are on iTunes as well. Mm. Uh, I know Year One is on there as well, with all the extras and everything included. Oh, nice. Okay. Right, so if you did want to track down just individual episodes, or if you're looking at all of these things on iTunes, you just want to watch a couple because you don't have time to slog through 50 episodes of Batman Animated Series, check out episodes 10 and 11, Two-Face, in which District Attorney Harvey Dent undergoes a dramatic transformation. Episode 14, Heart of Ice, the Emmy Award-winning reintroduction of Mr. Freeze that was bastardized into the Batman and Robin movie. Episode 18, Beware the Grey Ghost, in which Batman teams up with one of Bruce's old heroes, a down-on-his-luck actor played by Adam Adam West. West. Uh, Episode 68, now we're jumping 50 episodes in, so this is actually around series 3, so basically you might have to go to iTunes for this. The Trial, in which Batman himself is put on trial in Arkham by the Joker and accused of being the reason his rogues gallery turned to crime in the first place. It's sort of a, a kid's version of Arkham Asylum, the original graphic novel, mm. which is not related to Arkham Asylum, the video game, no. aside from the setting. Episode 75, Bane, 
in which the chemically enhanced masked luchador has been instructed by Rupert Thorne to kill Batman. Watch that today. It was good. And it might prepare you for uh, knowing a little bit more about the character, which is probably going to be entirely different for uh, Dark Knight Rises. Episode 81, Harley's Holiday, in which Harley Quinn tries to go straight and absolute chaos ensues. That one's great fun. If only for the shot of, I think Harley is being dragged down the street uh, in broad daylight in, by two hyenas on dog leads trying to go shopping. Yeah. Uh, and episode four of the new, the, the um, series four is, is called The New Batman Animated Adventures, which they actually, they did Superman, then they went back to Batman. So the animation's different and all the uh, villains look uh, have been given an overhaul. Uh, it's a bit more violent and a bit more graphic, and it's got some really interesting episodes, actually. Episode four is called Double Talk, in which the ventriloquist is released from Arkham Asylum and pronounced cured, but his Scarface persona, which comes out in his puppet, starts hounding him for release. And episode 12 of series four, Over the Edge, in which Batgirl... <coughs> <laughs> Something happens to her. Yeah. And uh, that's, Jim Gordon, that's Jim one Gordon of the ones I've got, so. <laughs> blames Batman for it. Yes. Oh, yeah, that is on that one. Yeah, watch that. Yeah, yeah. we've got Heart of Ice, I Am the Night, Legends of the Dark Knight, and Over the Edge. Oh, my God, those are some great episodes. <laughs> With commentary by Bruce Timm as well. Okay, yeah, get, get down to that, and then buy series one and two. Yep. And, uh, yeah, that's a really good one for Jim Gordon. And uh, finally, um, my tenth recommendation, episode 19 of series four, Tales of the Dark Knight, in which three kids discuss very different takes on Batman, including the campy version and Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns. Can I recommend? Yeah, go for it, yeah. Uh, you recommend... I had more, but you recommended most of them. I also... Ah, assume, sorry. Uh, I, I'm having to use the Wikipedia page for this, so I do apologise. I'm trying I not to give away spoils. I've put so many Wikipedia entries into here, I, I apologise <laughs> for just... It's just more the fact that the descriptions give away... Some of the oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, most of these are from season one. Uh, it'll be volume one of the box set. Vendetta, which is uh, Batman uh, having to help Bullock story, which I really, really like. And the villain in yep. that's Killer Croc. Robin's Reckoning, which yes, is Yes, that, that got an Emmy as well, didn't it? I'm surprised you didn't mention that one. That's a very good one. This one deals with uh, Batman keeping secrets from Robin. That Robin is um, Dick Grayson, and it's all about... Uh, Robin trying to get vengeance on the person that killed his parents. Yes, that's not a spoiler. Uh, one of my personal favourites, another one that I'm surprised you didn't mention, was The Man Who Killed Batman. And it's pretty much the story of this wannabe gangster who thinks he actually killed Batman. Ah, nice. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> yeah, uh, he's a small-time gang member. He, he, he kills Batman by accident, or he thinks he does. And he ends up getting involved uh, with gangs all over Gotham, and they, they just say, like, Joker isn't too happy about that. Yeah, I was going to say the best part kill of that you, episode dude. is seeing how Joker reacts to Batman's death. Mm. And oh, there's also another really good one called Joker's Favour, where a guy is being cut up by some crappy motorist, and he starts honking his horn and waving his fist, and the motorist turns out to be the Joker. It's quite nerve-wracking to watch. That's good. And my final one, uh, this is just more because it introduces another famous character into it is Shadow of the Bat uh, basically Gordon's framed for taking bribes by Rupert Thorne so mm-hmm. his daughter decides to put on 
a rally to show support and tries to get Batman to show up, who doesn't, so she ends up sort of dressing like Batman and ends up being Batgirl. So I, I, I really enjoy that. Oh, and I also like Pretty Poison, which is, uh, I think, one of the first appearances of Poison Ivy. Yeah. yeah. And that's, I think she, at that point, Harvey Dent is just Harvey Dent, and she gives him a poison kiss, and he ends up in a coma. Yes, it, yeah, that is a good one. Yeah. yeah, I think the way it works is that Volume 1's the first couple of seasons, isn't it? Because it's like 50-odd episodes looking at it. Yeah. Six, 65. So, yeah. If we haven't swayed you by now, surely yeah, I mean, <laughs> we do. Uh, I think with that, we're going to leave it there. Um, next week, we will be talking aliens. And I'm going to finish now on some music by Shirley Walker, who is now sadly not with us, but did the fantastic... She did a lot of music, not all the music, but a lot of music for the animated series, especially the first couple oh, of uh, I seasons. forgot to mention the end song as well. Yeah, um, it's not <laughs> important. It's a bit drippy. <laughs> It was it being Tia Carrera that made me laugh. Oh, right. Um, Swing! Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'd like to thank all of my guests who have turned up for a double bill, and we've gone on very late. It's just gone 11 o'clock at night. Jesus. (laughs) Little long. And uh, I'm going to go watch some Batman. (laughs) (laughs) I can't stop. can't get it out of my blood. Okay, uh, and we'll leave you with some music. Thank you very much, Josh Garrity and Neil Taylor, Jerome McIntosh, and Paul Gibson. So I'm going to leave you on some of the fantastic score by Shirley Walker. Take it away, Shirley. Year One, Under the Red Hood, and Return of the Joker. This is the seventh of 11 Batman reviews for Digital Gonzo on the road to The Dark Knight Rises. Coming up, we've got both Arkham games, and finally, The Dark Knight Trilogy. Tonight, we're covering three straight-to-video animated features, and we're going to tackle them in chronological order of Batman's beginning, maturing, and ending. And I'd like to welcome back my guests to the Batcave, Jerome McIntosh and Paul Gibson of Gonzo Planet. Hello. 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 
12 years, and the ache is still fresh. Like a raw, angry nerve. This isn't about healing. I'm not looking for closure. Batman Year One was released in 2011 and based on the 1987 graphic novel written by Frank Miller and illustrated by Dave Mazzucchelli. In the same way that Return of the Joker in many ways echoes Miller's first Batman hit, The Dark Knight Returns, which details the close of Bruce Wayne's career as Defender of Gotham, Year One, similarly to Mask of the Phantasm, is where he starts out. It details Jim Gordon's move to Gotham City PD, where he encounters astonishing corruption. At the same time, Bruce Wayne returns to his city after years abroad, training himself to be a weapon against crime. He goes from being a roughly dressed and unsuccessful hoodlum to a costumed vigilante with a handle on how to strike fear into the hearts of the superstitious and cowardly criminals. Meanwhile, the police are closing in and Gordon's family life is threatened. It was an influence on Tim Burton's 1989 film and many aspects of it were adapted into Christopher Nolan's Batman Begins in 2005. IGN rated Year One as number one in their list of 25 best Batman books in which Hush was number 17. Now, last episode, you mentioned that Dave Mazzucchelli was one of your abiding images of Batman in terms of art. Yeah, um, I'm just having a flick through to see if I can find... There's a particular panel. I think it's one of the covers. Mm-hmm. which is just Batman crouched over with the cloak around him. Mm-hmm. Um, if I can find it, I'll send you a link. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, if there's an opposite art style to Jim Lee's, it's probably heading in this direction. Yeah, it's very it's, noirish and stock. Yeah, noirish, simple. Well, simple's probably not the best word, but sketchier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not quite that one, but that is one of them. <laughs> Actually, no, I would say simple, simpler and, and more straightforward is, is a good way of describing it. It's, very, it's a lot of, um, similarly to Frank Miller's art himself, it's a lot of uh, blacks and whites and, and greys and broad lines, but without too much detail. Yeah, and obviously there's, what, 20 years difference, mm. pretty much between when they were first, well, 15 years difference. There were advances and... Yeah, big changes in comic art in the 90s, but... And what people required. Yeah, and but this still holds up. And it does... It harks back as well. You know, things like the shape Batman is and the costume and everything else kind of hark back to the very earliest Batman comics. One thing that's important to note at this point is that they, this story hadn't been gone back to in any kind of meaningful way for ages. People had forgotten why Batman was Batman. They'd forgotten that his parents were killed. And I think after this, no one was allowed to forget. Even the animated series referenced this repeatedly. Mm. Yeah, uh, this is pretty much the basis for everything that's come since. Mm. It's massively important. I'm actually going to let you, Paul, talk about it as much as possible because I'm actually not a huge fan. Fair enough. Um... And Jerome, if you want to, step in. Going more it's difficult to separate the comic from the animated, the animated version. 
here that we're talking about because the the animated one is so faithful it's almost like we're talking about the original text yeah i mean the the main difference there would be the art style yeah because yeah the animated one is much sleeker much more modern a bit more anime yeah definitely style wise and the way it's done it's not i think they actually made it in the same studio as they make uh, young justice right now a lot of their um straight to dvd films come from there yeah that would make sense um but yeah, dialogue in it quite often lifted word for word from the comic. You know, not necessarily every word from the comic, but key word balloons definitely translated straight mm-hmm. across into the animation. Um, and to be honest, I'm not sure this style would work animated anyway. Mm. Although it was nice to see the the panels in the credits at the end of the animated version. Yeah, where there's common ground between this and the animated one is in the character design. Mm-hmm. You know, Jim Gordon in both versions looks pretty much the same. Um, Commissioner Loeb, same. Um, and they do take setups directly from this. How about Bruce? Bruce is a bit different from what I remember. I can't remember how he looks in this. Say, <laughs> I love the artwork in this, but you know... To put it in perspective, this was a four-issue limited series that actually took place along the, the main continuity of Batman. It was, just, it was just moving along, and then suddenly, after the Dark Knight Returns had come and gone, they diverted and did Year One, Part One, Two, Three, and Four, just over four months. And it was, it was done suddenly like that. And it, was, it, it didn't come out with view to making it a graphic novel. It was just that they wanted to take the comic in a different direction and go back and tell a classic core story. Yeah, and it, it absolutely works as both a graphic novel and in the you know in the individual issues. But mm. um, I always liked the parallels in the story. You know, it, it's told from both Batman and Jim Gordon's point of view, mm. and it's pretty much as much as anything. It's a it's a it's a Jim Gordon story rather than a Batman story. Mm. Yeah, he gets he gets short shrift most other uh, Batman productions in terms of animation. Uh, aside from the, the animated series, they made him a key character, but uh, in in the films before Nolan came along, he people didn't even know about Jim Gordon, not as a character. No, I mean they knew who Commissioner Gordon was, but that's just because he'd always been there. I find it frankly bonkers that Burton could have been inspired by Year One, but not noticed that Jim Gordon was kind of core and key to Batman's world, and not made yeah. him an important character. He was just so bumbling and worthless in the Burton films, and then the Schumacher films. Yeah, and yet in this, he's anything but bumbling. He's intelligent. He's calculated. Yeah, he, he can he can more than take care of himself. Mm. He's occasionally stupid but that's more in his personal life than anything else. He's, he's definitely good at his job. And who was it who did the voice for him in this? I forget. Brian Cranston. Brian Cranston of uh, yeah. Breaking Bad, is it? Yeah, I believe so. I've not actually started watching that yet. Apparently yeah. Cranston uh, didn't know much about the character and hadn't really read up on Batman and didn't realise that the comics were that intelligent and deep. I would say that's probably a legacy of some of the other things we've reviewed <laughs> mm-hmm. thanks Joel I personally find it a little bit dry and boring Benjamin McKenzie as Bruce and Batman sounds flat and dead that's true 
This is down to interpretation, but coming from the wonderfully rich, yet threatening and still deadly serious Kevin Conroy, and the extremely accomplished follow-up of Bruce Greenwood, Mackenzie here fails to make a mark whatsoever. Then again, I found Bruce and Batman dull and unrelatable in the original graphic novel. Shut off from humanity and unresponsive, he's more like Robocop than the Dark Knight. I was also... Never fond of Selina Kyle depicted here, as is so often the way with Frank Miller, as a whore. Buzzcut, aggressive, and not really contributory to the story in any way. My summation is that if you love the graphic novel, you will love this. I'm glad it exists because so many people celebrate the story and it adds serious weight to Batman's all too often campy image. But like the Schumacher Batmans, I find little to engage with or relate to, and for all its gritty realism, little that feels genuine. This is mostly my taste, and I'm in the supreme minority here, but I'm not going to be watching this one again and again and again. Having said that, it was absolutely a key piece of the Batman tapestry, and the beauty of the work was that Miller wrote it some 50 years into Batman's comic continuity, yet it felt like a story that had always been there. Without the original text, we would have needed something else to base the animated series, the Arkham games, and the Nolan films on. It stands as the strongest foundation block beneath Wayne Manor. But Mask of the Phantasm and Batman Begins take the best elements of this and make for two films that engage me personally on an infinitely higher level than year one. To be honest, I quite enjoyed it, even though it did seem to drag a bit at certain points. I... The reason I really enjoyed it is because you got to see how uh, how Jim Gordon was. You get to hear his story mm. and how he actually became the police commissioner. There are you know elements of this that were wholesale into the Nolan films, which it does take the strongest bits. But I, I always like the whole sequence in the in the burning building with the cloud of bats and yeah, it's incredibly drawn as well. Eliza Dushku was fine as Catwoman. She's also in the Catwoman short, which I was quite good. I've got to admit, I didn't watch that. Mm. And I barely recognised Katie Sackhoff. Oh, yeah, she was Essen, wasn't she? She was. And, you know, if I hadn't known, then I wouldn't have placed that at all. I'm actually quite surprised in retrospect how little of the Jim Gordon's personal life story made it into Batman Begins, because that actually would have uh, given his character even more to do. Yeah. Maybe they just kind of focused on the fact that they were going to alienate kids... Oh, yeah, because they can't possibly end up doing that with the Nolan films. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose now they might, you know, if they were doing it now, they might consider it. But at the time, you know, the Batman franchise wasn't exactly... Mm, the last Batman film had been Batman and Robin. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they took some risks with it as it was. You know, having half the film not being about Batman might have been a bit much. But I'm sure we'll get to that. And obviously the look for... Gary Oldman mm, very was much from this lifted from this. Yeah. Anything else? No, I think we're good on that one. Right, so we'll move on to Under the Red Hood. Night after night, I watch over this city. But now someone stands in the shadows who knows my every move before I make it. Stalking me. tonight. Who do you work for?
Under the Red Hood, on the other hand, may well be the animated Batman film that appeals to me the most. Based on the Under the Hood storyline by Judd Winnick, written between 2005 and 2006, and directly referencing the Death in the Family storyline of 1988, this also follows on from the Hush graphic novel that we reviewed last episode. If you have yet to read and are planning to, then hold off on this review until you've read Hush and seen Under the Red Hood. It will fit together far better that way. If you've taken them in or don't mind a few spoilers, then listen on. We open with possibly Batman's greatest failure. His second Robin after Dick Grayson, named Jason Todd, is beaten half to death by the Joker and then left in a warehouse which explodes just as Bruce reaches it. This one terrible incident of loss and ruin is actually paralleled in Nolan's The Dark Knight, only without the use of Robin. The original publication of this had a 900 number for readers to call for a vote as to whether Jason should live or die following the explosion. By overwhelming majority, the vote was for the death. You could conclude from this that Batman readers were ghoulish little thugs, or that they wanted their hero to have to deal with something real and permanent that would haunt him forever. Either way, they got their wish. Jason died. Five years later, a new scarlet-masked anti-hero is prowling the streets of Gotham, blackmailing and threatening the criminal fraternity and forcing them to work for him, which enrages the kingpin known as the Black Mask. Batman clashes with him repeatedly, growing more and more suspicious as to his true identity. Eventually, it is revealed to be the very much alive Jason Todd. The key showdown occurs at the end. Bruce believes Jason is angry because Batman let him die. In fact, Jason has forgiven him for this. His fury is over the fact that Bruce allowed the Joker to live after this abominable and very personal crime. What follows is an extremely tense standoff where Jason forces Batman to choose between either killing the Joker or to kill Jason to prevent him from murdering the Joker. The reason I love this film is that it delivers the serious and dynamic Batman with a palpable threat, a constant sense of momentum commensurate with the Nolan films, but most specifically it delves into Batman's past and zeroes in on his moments of weakness, fear and vulnerability. This puts a cold and clinical detective in a situation where he is emotionally compromised. He's thrown for a loop in a personal way that few of his rogues gallery can ever muster, and like Hush he is forced to battle through to emerge on the other side in a state that doesn't quite exemplify victory. Both stories challenge his long-subdued desire to kill, specifically the irredeemable monster, the Joker. Again, in both, damage has been done that will stay with him. There is no Saturday morning rinse and repeat and return to normality, and that's the best kind of Batman story. And if we're honest, it's one of the only weaknesses of the animated series. Everything always went back to normal. So what did you guys think of this story? I truly enjoyed it, to be honest. Mm -hmm. I love this one. I think it's the strongest of, of these three, certainly. Um, although I've, I've just looked at the, the numbers for the for the death poll for Robin. Mm -hmm. It wasn't overwhelming. Oh, it wasn't overwhelming. <laughs> 5,271 against... 5,343 for. Ooh. Oh. <laughs> oh. Poor Jason. So, yeah, 0.33%. Yeah, Jerome, if you had voted, <laughs> if you'd just been alive and voted. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Selfish. Somehow managed to vote. You and all your school friends. I don't know. Yeah, I, I wouldn't have voted at the time, obviously. But I feel... Um, 
guilty. I was eight years old. I would have been the perfect age. But uh, but in all seriousness, I probably would have voted against because yeah, I, I read I, I, some I, early Jason Todd stuff, and he was crap. <laughs> Well, he's, he, he was a violent and angry young Robin, and it actually makes far more sense to, to Batman's overarching story to kill him. Yeah. Because Jason could have been molded into a decent young man, but, yeah. but I mean, maybe he couldn't. I mean, maybe ultimately that Bruce was taking him down a darker path, so something like that was going to happen. Well, he was already a... A street thug, basically, was when they met. He was stealing the wheels off the Batmobile. Yeah, I will say straight. <laughs> yeah. off, I love that. I will say straight off. This is not one to watch with kids. No, I don't know how I did it, but I actually watched this with Lyra and Sharon, and I felt awful. I was like, Joker beats Jason half to death with a crowbar at the beginning. I was thinking, I am the worst father in the world. But Sharon said, now that she's seen that, she now has to see the consequences. I thought, oh, wow. Okay. And she didn't. She was very much engaged with it. But uh, I think she noticed that the Joker had a different voice. And what do you guys think of John DiMaggio? I quite like it, to be honest. It took a bit of getting used to. Mm, Me too. Um, Neil wasn't too keen originally. Yeah. It wasn't until he started doing the laugh Mm. that I started getting it. Because the first few bits, he could have been anyone. <laughs> and he becomes manic at the end and actually manages to hold it together there. John DiMaggio is, of course, Bender in um, Futurama, but he's also Marcus Phoenix in Gears of War. And, yeah, more towards the Marcus Phoenix <laughs> as Joker than Bender as Joker. Than Bender, yes. Although there is a little twinge of Brooklyn in there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, you can generally tell when it's him doing a voice. <laughs> you look good. Been working out? You could probably use a little sun. Then again, who am I to talk? <laughs> He's calling himself the Red Hood. What do you know about it? that he has horrible taste. When I wore that number, it was classy. More flashy Mater D than motorcycle fetish. Oh, these kids today. If you're behind this in any way, we will find out. You're not... Oh, bird boy, you're so much less fun now. All grown up and in your big boy pants. Still, better off than his replacement, right? Even tougher making with the yucks when you're worm food, huh? You're gonna do it this time? Or you're just gonna put me in another body cast for six months? So disappointing. But back to the matter at hand. This new hoodie. You really think I would stir up so much trouble and not make sure you knew it was me? <laughs> The only other voice actor I recognised in this is teenage Jason Todd, mm-hmm. 
was the same voice actor that played Hope in Final Fantasy XIII. Oh. So, immediate urge to throttle. <laughs> <laughs> you don't blame the Joker with all the crowbar action. <laughs> and, of course, older Jason Todd is... Um, uh, Jensen Ackles? Oh, right, no, Neil Patrick Harris was Nightwing, wasn't he? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Doctor Horrible himself. Doogie Howser, that guy from Starship Troopers. Yeah, which, actually... And, yeah, Jensen Ackles from... Supernatural and uh, Batman himself is Bruce Greenwood, who reprised his role as Batman in Young Justice. And if there is going to be a replacement for Kevin Conroy, because he's going to have to stop sometime soon. He hasn't retired, I don't believe, like Mark Hamill, but he's he can't do Batman forever. Bruce Greenwood captures a certain quiet charisma and menace about Batman, which several other actors, including the guy from Year One, really don't manage to capture. No, much better than um, Ben McKenzie, the year one one. It, at points it was like he was reading, which I'm guessing he was, but, you know. Off a piece of paper. Yeah. Like right. poison ivy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> was it Greenwood? Greenwood. Yeah, far, far better. One thing I will say, I love the choreography throughout this whole movie, the way they've got my favourite scene is probably when it's the final scene, Jason against Batman, and they mm. traverse up on top of a church all the way to um, where the Joker is. There's two fantastic moments. I mean, there's several fantastic moments, but the two standout moments really are so short and so subtle. One of them is where Batman goes back to something the Red Hood shouts at him over the roar of a train, and he goes through the audio, and he, he says, you certainly haven't lost your touch. And he takes the sound of the train off and plays it back several times until he can you know, get it just right and it's, you certainly haven't lost your touch Bruce and it just this sudden <gasps> on his face it's like shit and it directly links back to in Hush where Batman sees through Clayface because Jason oh, would yes. have called me Bruce yeah Jason would have called him Bruce and Clayface hey. Jason in that calls him Batman yeah. yeah but as it transpires they swapped we can at least reveal that yeah. now that it was Jason back then for the beginning of the fight but then he swapped with Clayface in the middle of the chaos. Yeah, he was alive at that point. We find out how he was brought back to life. It did involve the Lazarus Pit. In the original graphic novel, it was Talia who brought him back. In this, it was Ras Al Ghul, hello to Jason Isaacs, uh, who brought him back out of a feeling that. of guilt. Yeah. yeah, I had to do some reading on that, because in the comics, it, it was Talia that put him in the pit, mm. but not that brought him back. Oh, right. It was... It was all tied into Infinite Crisis. Yeah. And Superboy Prime oh. punching reality. Oh, they kept that out of the, uh, the the film because it wouldn't have made any sense to, to other people. Yeah, and uh, well I, done. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I read and ha- ha- I own these uh, graphic novels. They're excellent. They're considerably longer and, and, and have a lot more ins and outs than, than this. So you know, I, I recommend buying them just to get the full detail on this. But yeah, the the... Superboy punched reality and it, the universe segued into a universe where Jason Todd was alive, which brought him back to life in his coffin. Yeah. <laughs> and he then punched his way out like the bride, like Batman in Doom. And um, not surprisingly, yeah. went a bit mental. And not surprisingly, yeah, he, he was somewhat mental. But and that's a terrible way to bring your character back from the dead. Yeah. Uh, I liked how they did it here where a lot of, you're not quite sure whether he's just crazy because he's been dead and suddenly been brought back to life and his mind's not quite 
or connected or he is actually holding your edge. But it's well written in it's better written in the in the film than it is in the book, in that the only character who has the means to do this and has the mindset to, to say, It's fine to bring people back from the dead. I'm doing it to make amends. Yeah. Does it? That Razargul's like, Yes, this is a gift for you, Batman. You're welcome. Your boy back. That was my fault. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. my bad. Uh, <laughs> Didn't did quite see that coming. Um. <laughs> I, I like the fact that he feels with Ras, it's not like he's just out to get Batman. There's almost rules to it. He you know, hired the Joker to distract him and it went too far, so he's going to try and undo it. Because for the long time, didn't Raz wanted um, Bat- Bruce to succeed him? That's mm, why the whole relationship... Yeah, on a certain level, he still wants that. Well, they alluded to it in um, Batman Begins, even. Yeah. But Bruce spurned him and he went crazy. The crazier. Yeah, yeah he's always been a little bit unhinged. Several <laughs> um, centuries of coming back to life will do that to you. But uh, I, I do like Jason as a... Uh, uh, he's not even really a villain, he's an anti-hero. He considers himself to be the, the figurehead Gotham needs to take down the, the criminals, to not necessarily simply combat them. The notion that it's a hydra and he can't keep cutting his heads off, he, he wants to kind of run them. Yeah. The, just oblivious to the amount of corruption he's going to be party to if he is at the top of the pile, having to constantly threaten everybody. Uh, one of the things that they didn't really capture in this so much... Um, but that was in the uh, books is how funny Black Mask is. He's funny in a terrifying way, but he gets so stressed about everything, and it's he doesn't have to be this stressed. Like he's like, oh, I feel like I'm taking crazy pills here. <laughs> he's got that kind of mentality where he's like, am I the only smart person in Gotham? And um, he's a really great character in the book, and he's fairly well represented here. But I think he doesn't really get enough screen time, and um, he doesn't get to banter enough with his PA. But, uh, yeah, like I said, read the books by Judd Winnick, who uh, previously worked on Green Arrow and is an excellent writer. Yeah, I do need to read this one, actually. I like how they stuck to the fact that Black and Matt, uh, his PA, is just this stone-faced woman who mm. reacts to nothing no matter what. <laughs> it's like she's the ying to his yang. He's constantly yelling where she's... Mm. Well, she has to be, so... Zoom yeah, I think coming through the window, let, let's run, yes. Effectively, she's his Pepper Potts. Yeah. Ooh. Okay. <clears throat> like, there's an extra parallel to Sharon's patience in the face of my insanity. I, I like to think of her more as my Alfred. <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of which, there is actually quite a lot of interaction between... Um, not interaction so much, but there's a play scenario with the Red Hood and Alfred in the books where he sends Alfred clues that, to the fact that he's Jason in that Bruce and Alfred used to collect first editions from a very specific shop in England and Jason sends them one. It's kind of like, a, hey, you know what? Only one person knows that you used to do this. And that was me. I like the fact that he's not just that Jason has not just come back for vengeance. No. Because that would be so easy and so boring and so straightforward. It's all complicated his feelings about Bruce. Because if you, if you think about it, he died as a child and he still, to a certain extent, even though he's grown, he's mm. got an adult body, he still very much thinks like that young, angry child that he was. Yeah. He had to grow up too fast as a child, but then he was hung in, in limbo for way too many years and he didn't really get the chance to mature properly. Mm. So, yeah. He also has that kind of don't care if I live or die 
yeah. ability to actually leap straight into the firestorm. There is also a majorly long flashback at the end of the uh, graphic novel, which details exactly what happened uh, as Jason in the in the missing years, how Jason sort of you know moved up, and uh, again something definitely to read. Uh, it's simply called Under the Hood, the original. It's a just a two part, much like Hush. Um, he is kind of to a point Punisher like. Yeah, I yeah, suppose so. To a point, but it's again it's Me- more methods rather than killing aims. criminals. He wants to control them. Yeah. More in his methods than his actual aims. But. Ultimately, he wants to do a better job than Batman did with his what, what uh, Jason considers to be compromised methods. Yeah. Oh, and the other one bit that I really love is just a very brief moment when Jason has unmasked himself. I don't know what cloud your judgment worse, your guilt or your antiquated sense of morality. Bruce, I forgive you. For not saving me. But why? Why on God's earth? Is he still alive? (laughs) Gotta give the boy points. He came all the way back from the dead to make this shindig happen. So, who's got a camera? Ooh, ooh, get one of me and the kid first. Then you and me, then the three of us, and then one with the crowbar. Then... You be as quiet as possible, or I'll put one in your lap first. Party pooper. No cake for you. And <laughs> it's, he's, he's having a whale of a time at this point. And it's in stark contrast to Bruce's worst goddamn nightmare, uh, which, which is what this is, and Jason's emotional turmoil. So, and, and ultimately, when Batman does what he does to get out of the situation, what Joker says is, you still manage to work out a way to win, and everybody loses. <laughs> yeah. Which is, which in, so if, since everybody loses, Joker wins. It's a brilliant way of, of showing his mentality there. And Jason does kind of have a point. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's yeah. saying, not, don't kill Two-Face, you don't need to kill anyone else, just, just him. <laughs> and it all comes, it will always come back to that. Over the years, Long after we're dead, Batman will still be challenged with the notion of whether or not to kill the Joker. And there will be times in certain Elseworlds where he will. But it won't ever be in regular continuity because that dynamic needs to consistently exist. Is it Arkham Asylum where he has a chat with the Joker about that? Oh, Um, it could be that or it could be Killing Joke. I think it's the very, very end just before uh, he tells Batman a joke which makes Batman laugh. But I think Joker says something along the lines of, you know, one of these days, one of us is going to have to kill the other. We can't just keep... It might actually be in both. (laughs) Significantly, in The Dark Knight Returns, which we aren't going to really talk about, um, at the end of both their lives, Bruce decides, fuck it. And just strangles (laughs) him to death. (laughs) And that was written before... Well, that was written to make Batman cool back in the early 80s. That was the book that started it all off. It took that act and various other things that happened in that. See, that's the fascinating thing about that. It was written as though Batman had actually started in year one in 1939, and it being, what, 1986? So it was nearly 50 years after that... And it was written as though Batman was incredibly old in the 80s. And that he, Bruce hadn't been Batman for years. And that, that all of Gotham had gone to the docks. Which leads us very neatly to the next one. Some clowns were never funny. 
<laughs> Some villains you never forget. He died years ago. You're sure? I was there. Some heroes will never back down. Go to work. The Joker is back, and it's no laughing matter. <laughs> He's got a new crew. On the double. A new game. A lot has changed while your old Uncle Joker's been away. New Gotham, new rules, even a new Batman. I'm ready to give this old town a wetty again. Now the world's newest Dark Knight needs answers. What can you tell me about clowns? Drop it, kid. You'll have to stand alone. You're out of your league. I know every trick the original Batman and Robin knew at their peak. To face a vengeful menace from the past, whose day is about to dawn again. Let's dance. Joker, the first feature-length Batman Beyond movie, now available exclusively on video cassette and DVD. This time, the Joker is wild. <laughs> Batman Beyond: Return of the Joker serves as a closer for the three-season animated series, which takes place 50 years after the regular animated series continuity. Now this is important. You don't have to have seen those three seasons of Batman Beyond. I haven't, and I managed to keep up with this film. If you haven't, this will probably make you keen to watch them anyway. What you need to know is that after years of declining health, Bruce Wayne hung up his cowl as Batman and took on a new protege named Terry McGinnis, who actually isn't too far away from Jason Todd in terms of that he was sort of a, a street tear away. His father was killed, and so.、Uh, He Bruce sort of takes him in under his wing, huh, his wing. You see, he's like a far more grounded Jason Todd. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's Terry McGinnis is much more forthright. He's not a loose cannon like Jason. He's a lot more like Dick. Let's face it. Yeah.、Uh, people people compared him to Spider Man in that he's quite snappy and talks and he can fly and <laughs> he's he's less like the、uh, the serious. Experienced Batman that we all know. This plays into Return of the Joker. Yeah. After months as a replacement Batman, equipped with high-tech futuristic gadgets, Terry is beginning to wonder if he really is right for the role. Then the Joker appears in Gotham once again. He shouldn't be alive. He would be in his mid-80s now. We get a flashback to a post-script in the animated series. This would have taken place after the end of the fourth season. And I suppose actually it would be after Justice League Unlimited, which I suppose was the last that we saw of that continuity. The third Robin, Tim Drake, is kidnapped by the Joker and Harley Quinn. This actually happened in continuity, tortured and twisted into a mirror image of the clown himself. In the process, giving up Batman's true identity. Now bored with the chase and seeing this as the perfect coup de grace. Joker orchestrates the murder of Batman by his own former ward. 
In the ensuing chaos, Bruce nearly kills Joker in an act of absolute fury for what he's done to Tim. This mirrors events in Death in the Family, which came 12 years beforehand, as well as Hush and Under the Hood, which came two and six years after the film, as well as the cruelty of the killing joke and Batman's breakdown and reforming from The Dark Knight Returns. It's a chilling mix of everything emotional and tragic about Batman, expertly and fearlessly put together to close out this series, accessible to kids and adults alike. The uncut version here does push the line somewhat. There was a cut version. Various things happened differently. They changed the way certain characters are killed. I think ultimately the film, whether it's cut or not, probably isn't suitable for very young kids anyway because of what it, no. what it handles. And ultimately, if they're mature enough to understand what happens in the film and characters' motivations, they should really see the uncut version. So that is the version you should track down. Eventually, the twisted Joker Tim shoots and kills the Joker before collapsing his mind in tatters. Afterwards, we're told by an aged Batgirl as the new commissioner, Barbara Gordon, who herself witnessed Harley Quinn's apparent fall to her death. This brought about a new and sad era for Bruce. He refused to let Tim don the Robin suit again, and until Terry never took on another partner to train. That all happened in the last 50 years or so, until the beginning of Batman Beyond. Now, the shenanigans with the Joker's gang that takes up the bulk of this movie fall by the wayside next to the importance of Bruce's emotional turmoil. The returned Joker attacks and nearly kills Bruce, now in his mid-80s himself, and it takes Terry's Spider-Man-like ability to be chatty with his antagonists to eventually overcome the Joker. The secret was laughing at how pathetic the clown really is, how his making jokes that aren't funny is in its own way funny. It's a genuinely bittersweet ending for the animated Batman we know and love, knowing that he has endured multiple penances over the course of his long, hard life. It does, however, end with a victory, and the epilogue found at the end of the second series of Justice League Unlimited gives even better closure. So we're not going to reveal exactly how the Joker came to be here 50 years in the future. That's for you guys to find out for yourself. It happens at the end of the film. But it is the Mark Hamill Joker. I'll begin with how I peeled back the layers of the boy's mind. Though he bravely tried to fight it at first, you would have been proud to see him so strong. But all too soon, the serums and the shocks took their toll, and the dear lad began to share such secrets with me, secrets that are mine alone to know, Bruce. It's true, Batsy. I know everything. And kind of like the kid who peeks at his Christmas presents, I must admit, it's sadly anticlimactic. Behind all the sturm and batarangs, you're just a little boy in a play suit crying for mommy and daddy. It'd be funny if it weren't so pathetic. No, what the heck, I'll laugh anyway. <laughs> So what did you guys feel about this film? Was it the first time you'd seen it? No. Yeah. Oh, Sorry. I thought I knew that one. Sorry. Uh, Jerome, <laughs> you go first. For me, it's a bit different because I actually watched the whole series of Batman Beyond and this oh, okay. was like the final coup de grace for me for the series. So the reason why people compare um, it to more to Spider-Man because it is very much he has to balance his everyday high school life while working for Bruce Wayne is Batman. Right. 
is it, is it really, really good? Is it on a yeah. par with the animated series? Because obviously they're, they're quite expensive to be able to get hold of on R1 DVD or iTunes. I would definitely recommend watching it just to see, because it is very much a different type of Batman. But Bruce Wayne is still Bruce Wayne. See, that's the link for me. The fact that they've got the aged, aged 80-year-old, you know, haggard Bruce Wayne, still voiced by Kevin Conroy, and still just a mean old bastard. And I love yeah, that. Barbara Gordon's actually a big part of the series as well because now she's the she's the commissioner. She knows Terry is Batman, and often they have to clash because she still sees him as this um, little kid running around pretending to be Batman. Like everybody's. It sort after watching this, it sheds a bit more light on the series. It shows just why, like Barbara and Bruce, are so bitter throughout the series because they're very cynical about everything. Yeah. Shortly after Bruce tries to murder the Joker, the Joker stabs him in the leg, which accounts for his wound, which stops him being the best Batman he can be. Yeah. Because I'm assuming Paul, you came at this from a I've never seen this series before point of view. Yeah. Um, it did take some getting used to. It. Having the link there with um, with Bruce. Bruce there as well mm. helps. Um, I'm still not entirely sure I like the the setting and the, some of the design work, but mm. particularly vehicles. That's something you would get used to, you know, watching a series. Yeah. No, it was a it was a good story. As as you go through, as you said, having him being a more wisecracking, almost Spider Man like character kind of works mm. especially with the contrast with with Bruce I like the notion that when it closes out it feels like Gotham is in good hands and that even as Bruce as relatively close to death as he is right now can leave with a clear conscience that he's done his, the best that he physically could yeah yeah. although I did wonder why I can't remember the character's name the one that looks like Scarecrow why has he got a Christopher Walken <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. For some reason, he wants Halloween treats. We're here to talk business. We'll be quick. Wolf gets seasick easy. <laughs> the big guy who originally put us all in contact has decided you're a loose end. And loose ends should be tied up. Uh, it was Ghoul was the <laughs> scarecrow guy. And it was Michael Rosenbaum. Ah, the Flash himself. Also oh, Lex Luthor. Um, apparently he also did when he did another series he did the voice of somebody else I've just lost it <laughs> Lauren Tom is in there as well as Terry's is she his girlfriend Jerome? yeah yeah she's Amy from Futurama so interestingly yeah. enough Hermes is Green Lantern and Dean Stockwell yeah Dean Stockwell plays the, the aged Tim Drake mm. that is in Al from Quantum Leap folks yeah and Henry was. Rollins <laughs> oh who was he? It says Benjamin Knox and Bonk, so doesn't he get killed fairly early on? Bonk. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I think I know the guy. Uh, and of course it is Mark Hamill as the Joker, and uh, he actually plays it slightly differently in this. He's more quiet and considered with all of his discussion. He doesn't just cackle wildly all the time. He seems to be... He is a Joker with a plan at this point. And he's yeah. very threatening. And very, yeah, reined in. Yeah. But still with it all kind of simmering under the surface. Yeah. You've lost, Batman. Robin is mine. The last sound you hear will be our laughter. Here you go, sonny boy. Make Daddy proud. 
deliver the punchline. <laughs> Tim. <laughs> That's not funny. That's not. <laughs> Very well it, done. It's like I said. It's it's a really unusual turn. It's almost like they they've been told, right? You're closing out this series. Yeah, Justice League's coming to an end as well, fairly soon. Uh, actually, no, that that carried on for several years. Okay, well, you're closing out this series, and let, let's go out with a literal bang, shall we? Mm. Let's give Bruce the, the, the show-off he deserves. And <laughs> Bruce's dog. Oh, yes, yeah, Ace, Ace the Bat-Hound. <laughs> he he features throughout the series constantly. He's, he's quite a, good, actually. He functions as the Canis Ex Machina. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Active <laughs> dog. <laughs> um, what else is there to say? I mean, okay, right, just as an overview of these, these films, if you like Batman... You cannot go wrong with Under the Red Hood. It is dirt cheap now. And if you live in England or America, buy that immediately. Return of the Joker is going to be harder to get hold of, as is Year One. Year One, you can't buy You can buy it in HMV in the UK. Um, I think it's very exclusive. And it's so expensive, you may as well buy... What are you going to say, Jerome? But, no, you can import it from America on Amazon. You can, but you can also get, there's, there's a five-pack, which I mentioned oh. before, which has uh, Year One, Under the Red Hood, Mask of the Phantasm, Gotham Knight, which I don't think we've really mentioned before, is a sort of an oddball collection of shorts that sort of form a coherent plot. At least it's got Kevin Conroy yeah. in there, and it sort of links in with Batman Begins. It's the animatrix of the yeah. Yeah. Nolan-verse, <laughs> basically. And the fifth one is Mystery of the Batwoman, which is not exceptional as a Batman film, but I think it was the last hurrah for uh, Kevin Conroy's Batman in that particular side of the universe. So I, I think it's like eleven ninety nine for all five movies on uh, uh, Amazon. Honestly, do recommend that. Now, Return of the Joker is going to set you back more. It's going to be about yeah. £12, £13 pounds to buy. I would suggest buy the Blu-ray, because it look, I have that. It looks phenomenally good in HD. Yeah. And, of course, the Blu-ray is completely uncut. If you do buy the DVD, make sure you qualify that it is the uncut version, because the cut one is going to have some slightly sloppy editing. Yeah, a lot of changes by the looks of it. Yeah. And I would say for year one, you know, if you are looking at it, because it's what? Looking at just now, on Amazon, 18 quid for the Blu-ray. For a tenner less than that, you can buy the original comic. And I couldn't recommend the animation over the original comic. Ah, good point, yeah. I suppose if you just... I mean, if you love Year One already, you've probably already got the, uh, yeah. the animation in some way. If you've never really done either, maybe just go for the comic role, and then if you love that, go for the animation in some way. But like I said, the, the box set with those five is extremely good value for money. That's £2 something per film, which is really, actually, yeah. phenomenal value. And none of these are overly long. I think the longest was right about an hour and a quarter. Yeah. Yeah. And none of them feel long. And none of them are bad, and several of them are phenomenally good. Yes. So, yeah. And the last thing I'm going to mention is that at one point in uh, Batman Return of the Joker, Joker says something along the lines of... Aren't you the nasty tattletale ratting me out before I have my fun? Papa Spank! 
<laughs> which is a reference to something that Batman did years and years and years ago in the Batman comics. Um, and this was like back in the 30s or something. If you Google Batman Papa Spank, you can check out the image here. And I will link you to this now. It's just literally a woman having her face rubbed viciously by Batman back when you could hit women and that was okay in comics. The makeup wax is quickly rubbed off. Let go of me! And then Batman says, quiet, or Papa Spank. What <laughs> <laughs> God's name, that makes A, that makes no sense, and B, it's like pseudo sexual threatening and creepy. Yeah. According to the page I'm looking at now, it turns out that the lady Batman is asking to be quiet is actually Catwoman in her first appearance. Quiet or Papa Spank? (laughs) I even mentioned this back when we were talking about Batman Digital Cowboys. Folks who listened to that might even remember. In fact, I think it might even have been the front cover when we interviewed Mike Oldman about Batman Arkham Asylum. So, yeah, Papa Spank has been in Digital Cowboys before. Uh, But Harley even does it in Arkham Asylum when she's torturing Warden Sharp. She says, Mama Spank, at one point. So it's become kind of a Batman meme over the years. So, yeah, that's why the Joker says that. Right, so next week we will be reviewing Arkham Asylum and Arkham City in one show that will be out next Thursday. I would like to thank once again Jerome McIntosh and Paul Gibson of Gonzo Planet for helping me to talk about these fantastic films. No worries. It's been a pleasure. Always a pleasure, gentlemen. So, I've been Alex Shaw, you've been listening to Digital Gonzo, and Quiet or Papa Spank.
kiddo, I gotta go. It's been fun, though, right? Well, maybe a smidge more fun for me than you. I'm just guessing, since you're being awful quiet. Anyway, be a good boy, finish your homework, and be in bed by nine. And hey, please tell the big man I said hello. Ha, 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 ha,